to talk to you today. We've talked about trusting God. We've talked about trusting the Bible. We've talked about Jesus. This morning, I want to talk to you about what happened to the human race. What caused us to fall? And I'm just simply calling this the serpent's tail. And as we look at this this morning, it's interesting what the Bible has to say about our story as human beings. There was a statement made my junior year of college that just grasped me, and I've never forgotten it. And all of my years of study, and as I'm writing a book now, I'm really trying to focus it around this one thought that the Bible is a single story. And when our professor made that statement to us in a theology class, it really took me back because I'd always looked at the Bible as a collection of stories about us. But what he shared with us that day is from beginning to end, the Bible is a single story with all kinds of historical events that take place in the story. It's a story about God's love. It's a story about God's plan. It's a story about God's grace. It's a story about God's love in his creation of the human race for you and I. It's a story about what went wrong and what will put it right again. It's a story about why knowing what happened to us as human beings is so very, very important. Through the years, I've gotten to know a few social architects, whether in government or in education or whatever it is, and one of the things that continually frustrates them is one social architect, Beatrice Webb, wrote, she says, after 35 years of working and trying to help people become better, I've realized how permanent the evil impulses and instinct within us are and how little they seem to change and how mere social machinery will never change that. And what she's saying is that education hasn't been able to change it, government hasn't been able to change human nature, science hasn't been able to change human nature. It seems there is this evil impulse within human beings that even the legal system and government can't deal with it. And so we have to ask ourselves the question honestly and reflect upon it, how do we explain this? And as Christians, we offer an explanation from the Word of God. There are other people in our world who offer contradictory explanations. But the Bible tells us a story, and as I begin to read the story, you might at first get sidetracked by going, by over-focusing on the serpent. In other words, did the serpent, did, how did this happen? Who is the serpent? Is the serpent the devil? That, the story is not about the serpent. The story is about you and me. We don't know what everything was like pre-fall. We don't know what everything was like at creation. I don't doubt this story at all. I don't doubt how it's presented to us. I don't doubt, as Jesus didn't doubt, as Peter and Paul didn't doubt, that Adam and Eve are historical figures in this story. But what I want you to focus upon is not the serpent, but the tale and what the serpent tells Adam and Eve and what happens. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to read quite a few verses if you get weary Please feel free to be seated while I'm reading, but let me remind you, we stand out of reverence and respect for the word of the Lord, but if physically you're not able, <coughs> you always feel free to be able to sit down. The Bible says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals 
the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not touch it, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened, and as soon as you eat it, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Well, the woman was convinced, and she saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband, who evidently was with her, who was with her, and he ate it too, and at that moment their eyes were opened, and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And then the Lord called to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild, and you will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And this next verse is fundamental to understanding the whole Bible. It's the first messianic prophecy in the Bible where God says, her offspring will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Father, I'm asking you for a supernatural touch upon us, not just so we can understand, but so that, Lord, we understand better about raising our children, so that we become better influencers for you in the kingdom of heaven, Lord, as we go about our daily life and our community. We ask you now, Lord, for your help so that we can understand what happened to the human race. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. I don't need to go through a litany of the terrible things and the horrible things that people have done to one another through the years. I don't need to go through the horrible litany of lists of things as I look around this congregation that I know that have happened to many of you in this building and in this room and those of you that are watching online. But it is important that we understand what happened with the fall of human beings. Theologians call it the fall of man. I'm just choosing to use the word human being so that we understand it includes all of us. But I think what we have to begin with this morning is that the fall of the human race began with a sneering question that got lodged in the heart of human beings. And when I say sneering, you know what I mean by that, that snarkiness, that sneering. Satan is speaking through a serpent, and 
right away we want to ask ourselves, well, what happened to the serpent and how did he get that way? But that's not the story. The story of the devil, that's for a subject for another time. And I have did a series of six messages and a midweek service on that that you can still get here at Woodland Church. But this text is one of the most important texts in all the Bible that I just read to you today. And it also happens to be one of the most important texts that you can ever read and think about. It doesn't tell us anything about the devil, but it does tell us about how human beings got to be the way they are and why we are not what God created us to be. And what happens is, is that the fall of human beings began with this snarky sneer in our hearts and not with an action. Attitude always precedes actions. Those sneering things that happen. In Genesis 3, 1, the serpent said to Eve, did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of any of the trees in the, in the garden? He's not really denying what God is saying, but he's trying to get Adam and Eve to, to laugh at it, to mock at it. We've done that before. Hasn't somebody ever sold you something that somebody said and you went, oh, no, they really said that? You, they really told you that? And what we're doing is we're questioning and we're saying, what a jerk, what an idiot. Can you believe they said that? And that's exactly what the devil is doing by saying, did God really say you see, you begin to lose God, not through actions, but you begin to lose God by the atmosphere and the attitudes that you have in your heart. How many times have I talked to college students and university students, especially back in the day when I got to speak in so many campuses, and they have told me, you know, to get a good grade, to, to get the, the grade I wanted, the degree I wanted. I had to write papers that pleased the professor and not really what I believed. And so I would begin to write these things that I really didn't believe. And suddenly I began to have questions and I, I began to question God. I began to question the Bible. I began to question my parents' faith. When the better question, the better question is not for you and I to try to defend what God said, but to ask the people who are snarking at us, why do you believe our position is indefensible? Why do you believe that there is no God in the universe? Why do you believe that there is not something that is original sin? Why do you believe that what we believe is indefensible and worthy of being snarked at? You see, people use humor sometimes to humble themselves. There are a lot of times I will tell you things about myself, and you laugh, but what I'm doing is trying to get us all to recognize we're in the same boat together. We're in the same ship together. We all struggle with the same things. But then there is humor that is sarcastic, that is used to put people down and to smash people to the ground and make them feel like they're idiots. I remember back during the elections when Obama and Hillary Clinton were running against each other, and one of the comedians got up and said, you know, last month and that President, uh, candidate Obama did really good and because it was, it, was, it was 
Black History Month and he did really well. Well, this month Hillary Clinton has done really bad because it's white blankety blank month. And everybody laughed. What he did was he, he lifted up Obama and he slammed Hillary Clinton to the ground. I'm not defending either one of their positions, but I'm showing you how people can use humor to eviscerate and what Satan wants us to do in that serpentine way is to laugh at sin and to mock sin and especially put people down who don't agree with us. The second thing he did was not only plant a sneering question, but then it continued then by Eve believing a lie in her mind. You see, it's not that the devil ever denies there's a God. You see the demons, even in the New Testament, confessing that Jesus is the Son of God. I have met very few people that I really believe are atheists. As a matter of fact, I believe deep down that even those who tell me they are atheists truly believe there's a God. Because I've seen too many times when atheists have wanted me to pray for them or pray with them because something happens in their life that they can't explain and they need God in their lives. Practically every human being believes in a God, but believing is not enough. The world is still a mess. It's when you deny the Word of God, it's when you deny the goodness of God, the grace of God, the love of God that's behind his commands that then that attitude begins to develop in our hearts where we first go, did God really say? And then after we've laughed at it and mocked it, then we believe it. And the lie is Genesis 3, 4, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God says if you obey him, God says, I'm going to keep you down. I'm going to keep you from experiencing life like it really should be. I, I'm going to keep you from broadening your horizons. I told you just a few weeks ago about the man after I got done speaking, called me to the side and asked me if he could have a few minutes with me. And so we, we talked for a few minutes and finally he says, but could I offer you some advice? And he began to poke me on the chest. He was a big guy. He began to poke me on the chest and says, you're really not inclusive enough. You need to be more inclusive and you need to be less Jesus-y. And so I took his hand off of my chest, and I poked him out back on the chest, not to be antagonistic, and I said, I will listen to what you said, but there is no way under God's blue heaven that I will be less Jesus-y, because Jesus is the one who saved my life, forgave my sins, and gave me a brand new reason for living. And he just kind of like, oh. Don't be afraid of the giants in life and don't think our position is indefensible. You see, what the devil wants to do is to get your mind off obeying God because if you don't obey God, you won't be happy. If you don't obey God, you won't really experience life as God created you to be. The world will tell you that you won't flourish and thrive unless somehow or another you can throw off the shackles of God. It never has worked. It never will work because this is our Father's world. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? This is our Father's world. And then finally, the fall of human beings or the human race was complete with an act of the will. With an act of the will. Look at Genesis 3 and verse 6 with me this morning. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit, ate it, 
Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. What was the great sin? What was the great action? I think first you've got to back up for just a little bit. You see, God did not explain to them why you don't eat from the tree. God didn't give them all of these reasons so that then they could stand at the tree and take out their iPad or their iPhone or their calculator, do a Google search, and do a cost-benefit analysis. In other words, if I eat from the tree, is it really going to cost me? Or if I eat from the tree, will I benefit from it? God is calling them to trust him. God says, I've created this whole world. It's your gift. This world is your, I'm giving it to you. I've given you the gift of your life. I've created you in my image. I've even somehow or another, Adam was able to communicate with the animals and they came to him and they named him. God is saying to them, I am your God. I love you. I created you. I brought you into this world. But now you have the choice. Listen, this is important. God is saying by not explaining, give them a cost-benefit analysis, God is saying you have a choice. You can act like God. You can try to be God. And you can make the decision on your own. Or you can trust me. And there are a lot of things that maybe you don't understand that you sometimes have to trust God for. You see, either you treat him as God or you make yourself God. That doesn't prevent us from searching out science. That doesn't prevent us from searching out history. It doesn't prevent us from asking the great questions of life. But it does bring us to the place that we ask ourselves, what is the biggest problem that you and I face in our lives right now? And our biggest problem is not money. Our biggest problem is not resources. Our biggest problem is not Republicans and Democrats. Our biggest problem is ourselves. Adam and Eve's biggest problem wasn't the serpent in the tree. It was themselves because they had a choice to trust God, his grace, and his love, or to put themselves in the place of God. You see, when I don't think correctly, I don't live correctly. When I don't think correctly, I don't relate correctly. When I don't think correctly, I don't love correctly. When I don't think correctly, I don't respond correctly. Poor thinking, sinful thinking, causes all kinds of problems in my life, and the Bible calls it sin. So the next question is, what is sin? And simply, sin is refusing to believe who God is. It's a refusal to believe in God. It's the root of all sin. Unless you believe in the Lord, unless you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now listen, this is important. Don't miss it. You may want to write this down because unless you believe in God, soon you will be filled with the atmosphere of the world's doubt, its anger, its vitriol, its lust, whatever it is. If you refuse to yield your life to God, soon you will be filled with the sin and the confusion of this world. Jesus said in John chapter 16 and verse 9, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. When I'm anxious or when I'm worried, I'm doubting God's promises for my life. 
When I'm impatient, I'm doubting God's timing for my life. When I'm bitter about my past or my health or anything like that, then I'm not trusting God's plan and his wisdom for my life. If I carry around guilt, then I'm not trusting God's forgiveness in my life. If I walk around feeling like I'm inadequate for the task, then I'm not trusting God's power at work in my right life. Because where I am weak, God is strong. Can somebody say amen this morning? You see, this belief, it matters because of all of the challenges and the things that we will face in life. Secondly, sin is opposition towards God and his will. And I really couldn't think of a better word. It's more than hostility. It's more than anger. It's an actual opposing, I want to defeat the will of God. Psalms chapter 111 and verse 7 says, all God does is just and good, and all his commandments are trustworthy. Will you read that with me? All he does is just and good, and his commandments are trustworthy. Do you remember the Genesis story where as God created, everything was good, everything was good, everything was good. Then he got to you, and he said, you were very good. God is good to everyone. God is good to the evil as well as to those that are just. God is not a respect to a person's. It's just God's nature to be loving and kind. But we take what God created good and we use it in bad ways. We misuse it, then we abuse it, and then we lose it. Think of all the good things that God has blessed us with. Money, if we use it as we did this morning to give or to invest wisely, then God brings good out of it. But money can become a source of stress for people, what God never meant. Drugs can bring healing into our life, or they can bring addiction into our life. Sex is God's gift to man and woman who commit themselves into marriage, but sex becomes one of the great destroyers of humanity. Power is good when power is used to honor God and to glorify God, but power abused will kill other people. Sin is always a perversion of the good gifts of God to you and to me. In Job chapter 34 and verse 10, the Bible says, God doesn't sin, the Almighty can do no wrong. When I read that verse, I realize God wants me to be like him. Of course, I will never be sinless, but my prayer is that I sin less and less and less the longer I serve the Lord. Don't you think that's a good prayer? Don't you think that's a good way to strive to live? I know I will never be sinless until I stand before my Lord in heaven. But as I grow in Christ, I sin less and less and less. God wants me to be like him because it's like father, like son. It's like father, like son, like daughter, like father. God wants you and I to be like him. You see, when I'm sinning, I'm ungodly to people. When I'm sinning, I'm unloving to people. When I'm sinning, I'm unforgiving to people. When I'm sinning, I'm bitter towards people. Sin is never loving. And Jesus said, listen, Jesus said as time goes on, people's love will grow more and more cold. Look at Matthew 24 and verse 12. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. Let me ask you a question today. Are people more critical than they've ever been before? Are we dealing with trolls on the internet? 
Are we dealing with people that can twist our words and twist our actions and our beings? Are people more rude? Has civilization become less civil than what it used to be just a few years ago? Ladies and gentlemen, I think whether you are a follower of Jesus or not a follower of Jesus, you have to agree with what Jesus said. Where sin abounds, people's love will grow colder and colder. James chapter 3 and verse 16 tells us that sin is always selfish. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Look at me. Understand who you are and where you came from, especially those who haven't come to know Christ as their Savior yet. You were created by God. You are not an accident. You are not a product of evolution. I don't care how many letters they have behind their names. You didn't just happen. You are not an accident. God created you, and God created you for his reasons and his purpose. You were made by God. You were made for God. And life is complete when we center our lives around God. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem of sin. All of us, myself included, perhaps me more than anybody, we're born with a tendency to sin. We're born with a desire to sin. We're born with a love to sin. We're born with this tendency to make wrong choices in life and want those wrong choices. My daughter-in-law, Rachel, called me a few months ago, and she had stopped at Chick-fil-A and got one of their delicious milkshakes. They're not open on Sunday, so don't rush over there, you know. We got one of those delicious milkshakes because Bear had never had one before. And she says, Bear, when we get home, Mommy and you are going to share this milkshake together. And she says, Dad, I had this idea we were going to start a tradition together that we would get a milkshake and share it together. She says, but when we got home and Bear got a taste of the milkshake, his eyes popped open. He grabbed the milkshake and ran behind the sofa and wouldn't come out. Mine, mine, mine. I said, Rachel, your son is a sinner. He's proof positive that human beings have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're born with this tendency to make wrong choices. Paul said in Romans 7 and verse 14, I have a corrupt nature and I'm sold as a slave to sin. You go, well, okay, I get that, but what happens is sin breaks our fellowship with God. Sin breaks our fellowship with God. If I hurt Becky, if I wound Becky, it breaks our communication. It breaks our connection. You might come over to our house, and we're both in the same house. We're both living for the same Lord. But you might go, wow, boy, kind of felt chilly in pastor's house today. <laughs> kind of felt cold. It didn't really seem like they were connected like they normally are. And it's because until I say I'm sorry until I say I repent and maybe bring some roses for restitution. There is no connection again. 
You see, when I sin against Becky, it breaks her heart, it breaks her connection, it breaks my connection. And the Bible tells us, if you'll look at Isaiah 59 and verse 2, that you don't feel God's presence when you sin because the Bible says it's your sins that have cut you off from God. And because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Have you ever had that sense, I can't feel God, I I don't feel connected to him anymore? Sometimes that's God calling us to put our roots deeper in him, but sometimes we know it's because we have this unconfessed, unrepented sin in our lives. And thirdly, what happens when I sin is that every time I sin, something dies inside of me. This week I prayed with someone in the hospital that their blood pressure went sky high. Unexplained, the doctors still don't know what happened. But as we were talking, this this line came up that you've heard and I've heard if you've watched television at all, that high blood pressure is the silent killer. How many of you have heard that before? It's the silent killer. You don't feel it, you don't know what's happening. And yet in your life, sin is the silent killer as well. James 115, look at this with me. Our desires make us sin, and when sin is finished with us, it leaves us dead. When I sin, my passion for God dies. When I sin, my my desire to be close to the Lord dies. Relationships begin to die in my life. My desires for things that are godly begin to desire in my life. Joy dies relationships that I have with other people die because when sin comes into that those relationships it begins to kill us it kills our rewards in heaven please hear me this morning sin destroys your identity you are not created for sin you were created for God his love his goodness and his grace can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning The word live, when it's spelled backwards, it's evil. And every time I do evil, I stop living the way God wants me to. Now, here's something that so many people have come to me surprised about. I might keep my sin a secret, but eventually my sin will be revealed. It may not be revealed on this earth, but it will be revealed in heaven. And furthermore, when I talk with people who have thought their sins was secret and they've seen how it's damaged their relationships, damaged their careers, I tell them, I said, you need to understand something. Sin is never private. Because when I sin, I'm affecting other people even if I don't know it. One night, I got a call And a friend who doesn't go to this church said, can I come to your house? I need to talk to you. And I said, well, because he was crying, I said, let us, you know, kind of get things squared away and then you can come over. So he came over and we went into the living room and he just began to weep and hold his hands trembling. And he made a heartbreaking confession to me that I had never guessed would have never dreamed of. And now that his sin was revealed, it was threatening in his marriage, his children, his career. And he stood there sobbing, these great sobs. And, and I finally, I just said to him, why did you do it? 
And I watched a reenactment of Genesis 3 all over again as he blamed everybody else for his sin instead of taking responsibility for what he'd done. And so finally I got off my chair and I knelt in front of him on the sofa and I took his hands in my head, his hand, head in my hands and I looked at him and I said, you will not find healing, you will not find forgiveness, you will not get your family back until you first of all take responsibility. You chose to sin. And I'm happy to tell you today that after a long period of restoration and renewal, he's been restored to his family. His career was not destroyed. But I thought how true Numbers 32 verse 23 is. You can be sure that your sin will track you down. Friends, when we sin, don't run from the cross. Run to the cross. When you sin, don't run from Jesus. Run to Jesus. Confess your sins. Don't hide your sins so that it might go well with you and your family, so that it might go well with you and your career. If I sin, don't let me slide in my sin. Come to me and confess confront me, and I'll tell you what I have found so often. If people will simply stand up and say, I've sinned, I blew it, I'm sorry, please forgive me, most people are quick to forgive because that's what passionate followers of Jesus Christ do. We forgive quickly. Can you say amen this morning? Well, give the Lord a hand of praise. And to say we forgive doesn't mean we start trusting right away. We go through this process of repentance and restoration and renewal. Look at this in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. <coughs> you will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Lord will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Sin limits your potential, but confession, confession frees you to be who God created you to be. Confess your faults to one another that you might be healed. And one more verse of Scripture before I bring this to a close. In Proverbs 10 and verse 23 the Bible says, doing wrong or sinning is like a joke to a fool. Can I take you back to that sneering, snarky question that the serpent asked? It's what culture always tries to do. If we can laugh at sin, then later we will mock sin. If we can laugh at sin, then later we become foolish and we enjoy sin. It's happened on television. It's happened in movies where we've laughed at clumsy affairs of premarital sexual activity or adulterous affairs and they've made beautiful room and we've laughed at it and now things like that are just tame compared to what's going on in our culture and society today. But it started with a mocking, sneering laugh at sin to where people enjoy doing wrong. Let me close with this, and if Becky, if you'll come on up, sweetheart. The cure for sin, the cure for sin is to believe in what Jesus did for you at Calvary. Believe that Jesus broke 
the power of Satan in your life. You can say no to sin. You can say no to the devil. If you trust Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and receive him as your Lord and Savior, you have more than willpower to say no to sin. You have the Holy Spirit's power to say no to sin. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 24, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. God didn't just, look at me, don't miss this. God didn't just forgive your sinful nature. God took away your sinful nature. He carried it to the cross. Do you understand that? God didn't just forgive it, but God gave you a new life. You are dead to sin. So receive the new life that God offers you. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9, those who've been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. Circle that in your outline. The Spirit of the Lord lives within me. And then finally this morning, when you receive Christ as your Savior, look at me. Think of yourself as dead to sin. Think of yourself as dead to sin's power. I have done this before with some of you here. I've taken you to the cemetery. And I've said, let's try and tempt some of these dead people to do something wrong. You've looked at me, what? I go, they're dead. Let's try to tempt them. Looked at me like I'm crazy. The Bible says you are to think of yourself as dead to sin. I can in no way imagine, no way imagine breaking covenant with God or breaking covenant with my wife and family and you. Doesn't mean that you're not tempted, but when it comes you remember Romans 6, 10, 11, when Christ died, he died for sin once and for all. We're not crucifying him again when we take communion. We're remembering what he did. He died for sin once and for all. But now, somebody say, but now. Oh, come on, would you say it like you go to Woodland Church? But now he is alive. And he lives only for God. In the same way, you must think of yourselves as dead to the power of sin. But Christ Jesus has given the life to you, and you live for God. Look at your neighbor and say, I live for God today. Come on, say it again. I live for God today. I live for God that's what Christ has done for you. Would you stand with me and let me pray with you this morning? Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. I love this church, Lord. I love these people. I love those that are watching online. And God, I'm praying for them this morning in the name of Jesus. I pray for their protection. I pray for their protection from everything that hell is going to throw at them this week after this message. I pray for protection upon their minds. I pray, Lord, for protection upon their bodies and their health. I pray for protection upon their careers and their vocations. 
upon their marriages and their children and grandchildren, Lord. Father, I pray that every day that they wake up, that they will desire to talk to you in prayer and listen to you as they read the Bible, Lord. I pray, Jesus, you will open up doors of opportunity, Lord, so that they'll be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ. God, help them to tell their faith story and what you've done for them. Lord, we confess there is something in us that is drawn, but we think of ourselves as dead to sin. So, Lord, help us to sin less and less and less. Lord, would you protect us from thoughts of discouragement? Would you protect us from thoughts of doubt, Lord? God, would you touch relationships that have been broken and let there be reconciliation and healing? And Father, I pray for those this morning, Lord, who are just starting in life, that Holy Spirit of God, you will help them to have this long-term vision of what it means to walk with Christ in marriage and in a home, or if you've called them to singleness, to walk with you, Lord, bearing fruit that will remain. And Lord, if some are approaching the end of their days and the end of their years, God, I pray that you will help them to begin to imagine and to dream of heaven. God, give us, I pray, clarity about what life is and what it's all about. And now finally, I pray for those, Lord, that have never crossed the line and given their hearts to you. I pray they'll join me in prayer right now. And if that's you here in this building or watching online, would you just simply invite Jesus into your life? Accept what God, believe what he did for you. He'll forgive you immediately. He'll come into your life. He'll change your desires. And you will find at this church or at another church, we'll help you find, you'll find people that want to walk with you and help you grow in Christ. So just simply pray like this. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you that you created me. Thank you that you created me for yourself. And I want my life to be centered around you. I thank you for what Jesus did for me at Calvary. He broke the power of sin in my life. He forgave me. He gives me his power. So as much as I know how, I commit my life to him in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen, and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise today for those who prayed with us? Now here's my blessing from the word of the Lord for you. May people see the love of Jesus in your eyes this week. May people feel the power of God flowing from your hands. And may people experience the wisdom of God as you speak to them. And may you walk in the fullness of grace and peace and joy that God has for you. Go today in the name of Jesus. God bless you. You're dismissed.